<laughs> Got a lover. Great little uh, intro. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Wiser Wednesday. For uh, many of you, you'll recognize that uh, little uh, jingle. Um, so, look, really excited today. We're having a fireside chat with Chief Futurist uh, Nicholas Babington uh, on Facing Our Futures. Um, so, I'm James Potton. Uh, you know, I believe in a world of entrepreneurial success without burnout, uh, as I often say. So, got the slightly charred t shirt from doing it. Um, look, it gives me great pleasure to welcome you here today, Nick. Welcome. Thanks very much, James. It's great to be here. Great stuff. Um, yeah, look, we met in your home now hometown, Toronto, about four years ago. Um, you know, and it was actually the discussion we had. Uh, um, remember having a slightly quick neck because I don't know how tall you are, but you're a lot taller than I am. Yeah. <laughs> you're about six five. Uh, six four. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, I was I'm five foot ten and three quarters, and the three quarters is all good. Super important. All good. Um, and uh, yeah, so just remember that conversation, and it just being like an amazing like moment for loads of different reasons it was the first time i heard about what a futurist was um you know and that i slightly like orientate in that way in the way i think i think that's that was incredible um i actually recently removed it from my bio but i've added it in for today because sure. like hopefully hopefully you'll drag me on that uh, uh you know journey again as a result of this discussion for um sure. weirdly we grew up like six miles apart in the west country you escaped that's right well done. You have an RFID chip implanted in your left hand. Yeah, I uh, I, I was running a conference a few years ago. My friend Emil Grafster from DangerousThings.com um, implanted me um, with an RFID chip. It can't track me. It's not the sign of the beast. And uh, it's, fa it's fairly innocuous. So, uh, but yeah, I'm a biohacker. So, uh, you know, the journey continues. Amazing. Okay, yeah. And you've, you've had like over 200 hours of tattoos. I, I, I don't know how you've done that, man. That's not even had one yet so well you know i'm uh, silly enough to do so <laughs> there's a lot of body to cover there so that would yeah. be my entire body um so look we, we're we're um sort of this is you know we're just discussing this a point when we've just had the paper signed by like over a thousand like tech leaders saying that we need to hit a pause on like developing ai beyond chat gtp4 uh you know musk amongst them is this something that they you know want to catch up with who knows um uh prompt, engineer, prompt engineers are now like commanding up to 300 like k salaries um it can code for you it can build a website in a few hours you sure. know is b is b corp gonna like ban chat gtp use like uh you know what's gonna happen where are we going it's it's um you know it's just it seems like a bonkers time in fact I, ai is almost the most bonkers thing since either the internet or the printing press like for it, sure it's amazing so um, if people have questions, put them in, you know, if you're listening live, put them in and we'll, uh, we'll look to answer them at the end for Nick. Um, so look, tell us how you got, ended up being a futurist far away. Yeah, we, we, we'll talk about being a futurist, but like, I'm going to weave in a little bit of my own, uh, experience with machine learning systems, artificial intelligence as well. Um, at the age of eight years old, I picked up a book called, uh, the Osborne book of the future. My father had bought it for me as part of a school book club. And it was about the year 2000 and beyond. So it was like all these amazing technologies of, you know, the Hyperloop was in there. There's wearable computing. Well, we've kind of got that today. Robots yeah. in the home haven't quite made that. We'd be living on the moon, under the sea, our futuristic cities and flying cars, the, the whole shebang. And it was interesting. When as an eight-year-old, I'm like, wow, you know, wildly inspired by science fiction, wildly inspired by a book like this. And a couple of years later, I, I started um, programming a BBC computer. And so I sat down and started to work it out with my cousin and going through that. And I sort of began a lifelong long love of technology and, and futures thinking. Now, I didn't call myself a futurist. I didn't even know what that word meant back then. I just knew that there was, there was a horizon that I was looking towards. When I went to university... I actually did applied psychology and computing. I knew that cognitive psychology and computing language systems was going to be a big deal. Uh, so actually, uh, my my thesis was around um, uh, using simplistic uh, grammatical phrases to teach a singular layer neural network how to how how to recognize you know non presented phrases. So linguistics language the whole shebang was thinking about going ahead doing a master's do and a phd in that wow. if i had have done i guess i would have been part of that big club of ai today mm -hmm. but about you know 10 12 years ago uh, i started talking about innovation and technology and futures 
uh, of humanity and technology. And uh, 10 years ago in May, I ran a conference called uh, Cyborg Camp in Vancouver. And some of the listeners may, may have actually been there. We had 120 people fly from all over the world to, to, to my small event that I ran with my friends. Yeah. And it was a wild success. No one had really was doing these sort of underground discussions. Uh, you know, so we were sort of bringing it to light. Um, it was at one of these events. I had a microchip put in my left, uh, my left hand. I ran an event called uh, From Now, the year after. And that's where the futurist moniker sort of st- stuck. People started calling me it. Um, so I embraced it. And uh, I sort of ascended from my world of working in advertising and software and, and gig platforms into working for myself, consulting with companies, and really working out how you can apply sort of strategic rigor and strategic foresight within a corporate context. And that's what I've been doing for 10 years. Mm. Uh, So, you know, futures work is incredibly important. It's basically been in my blood since I was a kid. I'm, I'm, I'm very focused. I mean, I, I mean, I, I wrote the, you know, this book, you know, facing our futures, um, uh, I wrote that during the pandemic. It was born of the pandemic and work I was doing with companies such as Google, the Bank of Canada, small startups, and a number of other engineering companies as well. And some of the, the frameworks and the research that I present in there is is from the greatest thinkers in the world of foresight and some mm. reference points. So it's kind of a good starting guide for people that are really excited about futures and want to apply it in a business sense. I've also got something called the positive dystopia framework in there that helps you look at positive futures and how we can get there, but also consider what happens if we make bad decisions. And that's something that I think has been missing in that world because we're biased to uh, to to basically want to, to see what's bad, or I call it looking into the darkness, right? So, I mean, that's a potted history of who I am from the age of eight to today. Yeah, um, amazing. But, um, Thank you. It, 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 it's been a wild ride. It's been super interesting. I feel blessed that every day I get to have conversations like this, connect with the community. And I actually think that community is amazing. I mean, you put Futurist on your profile. Everyone on this that, that's watching this, put Futurist on your profile. Go deeper. Like, I don't care. You know, I'm not I'm not precious about it. Um, that tends to irk a lot of people in the force. <laughs> but like, you know, we, we're all here. The more people that can look at 10 plus years out, the better the world's going to be. Yeah. Well, look, and that's that actually, you know, almost my next point. So that, you know, you talk about the tyranny of now quite a lot, which is a really interesting. Yeah. You know, it's a, um, it is, it is, it, 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 I find it super interesting. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to keep saying that throughout this like discussion, because when working with, you know, startup leaders and, you know, companies that are still, you know, less say less than 300 people or whatever, they, they don't always, they they're often like their horizon is the like the end of their burn rate you know there's this kind That's of right. there's no there's almost it's almost a privilege to be able to look beyond that um so yeah how do uh, you know how do we um yeah how do we try even begin to do that it's really interesting at the beginning of the pandemic i uh, had uh, someone reach out it's the founder of a of a software startup uh, here in canada and uh, they reached out they're like, hey, I saw you speak at a PricewaterhouseCoopers event last year. I think we could do some cool work. I can get the government to pay for this. There's some really good, like, you know, startup support programs in Canada. And we sat down and uh, I, I said, you know, started to ask questions about the business and the focus. And the, this founder knew that, you know, they were sort of looking in the short term what they could do in terms of their business, where they were likely to go, how to sort of mobilize knowledge in, in, from their board members and advisors and whatever. Asked a very simple question. It's like, what's your 20-year vision? And his, his vision was like, you know, three, four years, let's spin it out, sell it, and move on. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. People don't people don't buy that. Okay. And it, it's interesting. People, people actually believe and buy from companies that do have a longer-term vision. They do have a sense of future preparedness. There's studies that show that if you've got future preparedness and vigilance in your business, whatever size it is, you're more profitable and you and you grow faster than people that don't. So, you know, mm-hmm. be a part of the story of our futures rather than a bystander, just watching everyone else take advantage. Yeah. So I worked with this person and his team and I worked with the board of directors and we did some training um, just to give them some awareness and future preparedness, doing some signals analysis, trend identification and scenario building. And, you know, within two to three months of that and, you know, some extra work that we did together, 
Um, their vision was more clear. They had this idea where they were going in the next 20 years. Um, they replaced half their board and their advisors. They brought it in. Um, the company's on fire. The guy span off a venture fund. It became this thing that once you had that bigger view of what's coming, once you you can you can start to see the opportunities flying over the horizon, or you can start to seed the conversations. And there's nothing more potent than inspiring people with visions of, of a future that they can feel that they're part of. Because the thing that stops us from thinking about futures is that once we start saying, okay, okay, James, imagine yourself in 20 years time. You're not thinking about yourself. You think it's someone completely different. I mean, psychologically, mm. we just can't understand it. So as futurists, what we do is we help people understand that there's a journey, who they are in those contexts. And this is where scenarios and storytelling um, sort of comes in. Mm. And, and it's like, I know who I am in that future. I know how it feels. I know the dynamics. I know the effects. And I know potentially how we get to there from today. Mm. And then it's like, wow, actually, there's some ideas that we've played with that are really relevant to the business today. Change up your business model. Think about technology differently. Think about community and human-centered design everything changes, right? And that's the experience that my client had. And uh, it's fascinating. Uh, more and more people are getting turned on to this, James. It's a very exciting time. Yeah, amazing. Look, I mean, it's, um, yeah, so it, it's almost like dropping a zero because you're 30 to 50 years out and it's and it's normally working with businesses three to five. And I mean, that's what right. I find is there's a, there's a, often like in startup world, you know, we're talking like, you know, five, 10 people in the business or whatever. There's a conflate, there's it's very easy to conflate the journey of the founder and the, the journey of the business. And that's kind right. of almost one of the first exercises is, is trying to, you know, you are not your, your, you know, the art the, separating the art from the artist type thing. You've got to kind of get them to realize that what their journey is and what the potential for the business is, right. you know, two very different things. And what the potential for the world is and what the potential for humanity is and what the potential for your, for your competition is as well. Right. I talk about, you know, the non-zero sum some game in my book. And it's like, just just let it go. Realize that some people are going to do really good alongside mm. you doing really good as well. You know what? Be friends with them. <laughs> you know, work together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, I used to know. have a file called competitors and now I call it coll uh, collaborators because I'm exactly. like, that's exactly right. That I should probably reach out to. Yeah. And these people really do want to chat. I mean, I'm, I'm doing tons of work with banks this year and, uh, it's it's basically you know partner organizations bringing all of the banks to sit in the same room and work together that's incredibly progressive it's better for everyone everyone's going to win and especially we're going to win the people that use the banks so it's mm -hmm. it's interesting times right and there's this shift it, it it's sort of really it's so essential but you know there's a lot of inertia in the world as well that we have to sort of fight through yeah so you you um you talk about um you know, utopia, dystopia, like what, and like define whose utopia it is. Can you give us a bit of an insight to that? Yeah, so it's interesting. I uh, I sort of talk about positive and dystopian futures. I, I, another event that I started about six, seven years ago was Dark Futures. It was it was known as the Black Mirror of TED Talks. And it was like, you know, the, the darker side of the world, what's happening behind the scenes, uh, you know. And we, we kicked that off with uh, four amazing speakers. And we've done events in San Francisco, Vancouver, and Toronto. Just as the pandemic was, was about to hit, we were going to take it to New York City and London as well. Maybe that will come back. But, you know, positive futures, I feel, and, and it is, it, it's biased to the way that I feel, but this is kind of how I think the world needs to feel as well. So a positive futures, you know, imagines a world where we have a global view, there's infrastructure to support improving health and wellness and reducing wealth disparity. You know, we, we're in a world of health, uh, humanity-centric, balanced and egalitarian solutions to the greatest challenges that we face you know, around climate change, water, energy, food, um, challenges, waste, a whole number of different areas, which are inherently dystopian and caused by the last 300 years of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, and, you know, we're caught in this industrial complex. And I always start off my keynotes by saying, this is how we got to here today. A lot of people were very greedy. And uh, this is kind of like the basis of what dystopian futures are. So if we start from today and we say, okay, dystopian futures, it's a world where we perpetuate the reliance on the industrial complex. So all of those innovations that are owned by so few people around energy, predominantly fossil fuels, um, 
hopefully moving to renewable energy transportation there's a whole bunch of stuff in there around automation and, and communication information so those three dimensions have been where all the big um, developments and the cross-section between them is where the acceleration of gdp population growth um, large-scale food systems mega cities or whatever come from right but the industrial com complex is ultimately you know and this is part of the dystopia there's there's military action and conflict that supports it. There's there's billionaires and shareholders that are rewarded ahead of us, the, the people that consume anything. Um, you know, the technology solutions and platforms put out there are promised to do something great, but we're reduced to users. You know, it's a world of short-term thinking and greed. It's about mm -hmm. personal protectionism. It's not about these open systems that, that everyone can gain access and control of, right? And we're starting to see that sort of play out and some of those big discussions happen today. So, you know, the, that that's the way I see it. Some, some people that work in those dystopian industries think that's a positive future, but ultimately we're being lied to. So there's some activism in there to say we want positive futures. And I always say that uh, futurism is activism. we got to stand up and fight. Awesome. And look, and you know, we we had a sort of brief brief chat b before this um, about uh, you know I got quite wrapped up, and we shared disc profiles, and it would support our, our disc profiles. You know, you're yeah. more red, I'm more yellow. Um, that I got caught up in the abundance movement. You know, to, I, yeah. you know, I went out to Peter Diamandis' Abundance 360 event, Singularity yeah. University, done that quite a bit, and then uh, you know, I had even like done dinners like to discuss like abundance and where where it's taken us and abundance isn't obviously always a good thing but it's i find it it was almost jarring when i started reading your book and like you know you pretty much convinced me by the end and i started to see examples of where um understanding how you know dystopia might be allows us to almost not get there right right exactly it's a, yeah. it's a really really but it's horrible it's not a very no one wants to like go there right yeah, you know, and the the abundant look. I don't, I don't dislike the idea of abundance. I do dislike that basically it's been framed in a way that the people that can afford to be part of the movement are part of the movement, right? Mm. Um, you know, we talk about you know access to solutions affecting a billion lives and all the good stuff, moonshots. It's also super interesting that most of the big tech players in the world don't care anymore. Um, you know, it, it just from hearing what's been going on in Silicon Valley and all the layoffs and whatever, it's not just the people that were hired in the pandemic um, that are being laid off. It's uh, designers, fut you know, fu futurists and foresight practitioners, people that are actually trying to move a, a, a company forward in the right direction. And all of these big tech companies, without fail, are literally they're canning the projects that really matter in terms of creating something around protecting ethics and uh, against bias in data. You know, I, I can't say you know, to what extent in all places, mm. but there's been a worrying trend that uh, a friend of mine says the future has been cancelled by by a lot of the big tech players, right? <laughs> so, you know, abundance is, is, is sort of a buzzword to me these days. And yeah. sure, you know, Singularity University and Mr. Diam Anderson, all those other guys, fine. Um, I don't think it goes far enough. I think yeah. that there's a lot of struggles out in the world. And I think that the, the grassroots movements that are needed have to influence, you know, the, the conversations that are happening at the, the big, big tables that are making decisions governmentally around policy, um, globally around collaboration, looking at UN and, and World Economic Forum and whatever. And, you know, we've we got to start turning the screws and really pushing people to really think about what what an even basic sense of respect for humanity looks like. And then maybe once we get to some of those basics, we can think about abundance, right? Yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, yeah, I, I did realise, you know, about halfway through that one of some of my, the best sessions I've done with like some of my old teams is like, how do we screw this up? And we write every right. single way how we could screw, you know, whatever we're trying to do up really easy to find the answers to like well don't do this don't do that so it is a it, it, i was like oh hang on I, I have been able to go there but um i also like you know really aligned to what is it you know henry ford who says whether you think you can or you can't you're right so we've got this you know it's almost there's almost sort of a bit of a brainwashing to the, the, the there's some unlearning to to do yeah, you know, Alvin Toffler very famously said, you know, you know, literacy, and I'm paraphrasing, 
um, modern literacy is about being able to unlearn and relearn. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, we gotta we 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 sort. I I always say that nostalgia is the enemy of good futures work, right? We gotta we gotta stop, you know, waxing lyrical about like you know what our forefathers and fore foremothers did before us and how good that was and you know the good old days and how we got to today. Because ultimately, um, these these ideas and these structures, these business models, uh, a lot of them deserve to be hung out to dry and uh, completely revolutionized, right? And uh, it's interesting, in the early 90s um, to the late 90s, we saw a huge boom, um, you know, internet businesses, a dot-com boom, and that crashed and burned. And then, you know, in the 2000s, you know, it came back strong uh, with vigor. And it seemed like there was a lot of progress. And then once these companies made a lot of money, it seemed there's a lot of protectionism, right? So we're kind of in that world. And uh, if we think about the companies that are protecting themselves today, they're just trying to make as much money as possible rather than trying to work out how to spend as much money as possible to make a huge difference in the world. So uh, I think that's how companies are going to be measured in the next sort of 20 to 30 years. Mm. Okay. Uh, well, yeah, look, I mean, uh, having started, I tried a few times to write a book. Like I'm on about thirty-five thousand words at the moment. Wow. Um, so maybe Congrats. I need to go out to Joshua Tree to um, to finish mine. That that you know. <laughs> I, you I was set out with a vision of what you you know what was the change you wanted to make in the world as a result of your book. Yeah, so I'd, I'd written about ten book outlines before this one, right? <laughs> and I know that you know what is it that what's the what, what's the best way to deal with writing with a book? It's well, well, write the book, right? And um, I was really lucky. So there was a book called um, "The Future Starts Now," and it was a bunch of guest uh, guest lectures or guest uh, sort of opinion pieces that was put together a couple, by a couple of friends called Bronwyn Williams in South Africa, who's part of the Futurist Think Tank, and Theo Priestley that's doing some really cool stuff with regards to game mechanics. And uh, they invited me, and uh, Bloomsbury, the publisher out of the UK, they they made my you know start with dystopia, you know, 1,500-word uh, article, the opening chapter. So, okay. And I've been playing with this, and I've been doing Dark Futures for a number of years, and it's like, you know what? Sometimes these ideas stick. And sometimes people get excited and it's like, okay, there's some oxygen being given to this. And I chatted to the, uh, the editor, Matt, and I said, I've got an idea for a book. Can I pitch it to you? He goes, yeah, here's the format. Write this. This is what we're looking for. I kind of liked my original pitch and I wrote it and it was in, uh, I think it was January, 2021. And uh, and sort of after that first year of the pandemic, I'd done a ton of work. Uh, loads of consultancy was happening. You know, all of my frameworks and ideas. You know, my mind was just on fire. I just had a kid. A whole bunch of stuff had happened. And then, um, Little, lacking lots of sleep. Yeah, <laughs> lacking lots of sleep, hallucinating. You know, the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I sat down and I said, Matt, what do you think? And he goes, I love it. Um, let me take it to the board, like the the board, editorial board, and they loved it. And we signed that contract in March 2021. And I was like, okay, I need to write a book now. <laughs> so I actually, I actually spent the first few months just researching. So I had like uh, significant documents. You know, I just used Google Docs and whatever to collect all of my ideas. And we're talking hundreds of pages of references and stories, my own work and a whole number of different things. Mm. And um, by sort of the end of 2021, my partner and I were pretty fed up with being stuck in Toronto. And it was pretty bad during the pandemic. And the lockdowns here were some of the worst in North America. And I was like, you know, her, parent, her parents had a two-bedroom place in Palm Desert, you know. And uh, we went to live there. There was a swimming pool. It was sunny every day. I made friends with the local economic uh, partnership down there, Co Coachella Valley Economic Partnership. And I went along to, <laughs> they, they had this iHub, the, the Palm Desert iHub. And it was like a 10-minute walk from where I was living, which doesn't really happen um, down in that part of the world. You basically have to drive everywhere. I walked in. It was a completely new facility, and it was empty. And Laura James there. I was like, yeah, yeah, we love what you're doing. Uh, which office do you want to use? I'm like, <laughs> and, you know, I was willing to give them money. They're like, no, just come and speak at one of our conferences. And I was like, sure. And um, I sat there for three months. Uh, and in 50 days, I banged out about 86,000 words, yeah. which is going apace. But, you know, I'd spent months sort of jotting down ideas and, you know, 
um, you know, big respect to my partner who had patience for me because I'd literally be middle of dinner and be like, I, I just need to write something down. I'd be like, <laughs> boom. And um, yeah, so bang that out. Yeah. Um, so came back to Toronto, went into another set of lockdowns. We almost lost our mind and um, and basically started the editorial process on this. Um, reduced it down by about 20, 25,000 words. Took out an entire chapter of uh, a chapter of design fiction that I might release um, on on futurist.com at some point, and uh, yeah, focus it in, and uh, got to the point where it was released uh, February this year, and on Valentine's Day, and uh, a romantic novel about this made with a lot of love, <laughs> made with a lot of love, um, and it came out and it became a bestseller here in Canada. It became a hot new release in the US. It's getting onto lots of uh, well-known book lists and whatever. Lots of people are sort of saying it's pretty cool. Um, so I'm excited because this means that people are paying attention to foresight, sometimes for the first time, and mm -hmm. are starting to think about what that means in their business. And that's why I sort of say, James, put futurists on your profile. I want everyone to be a futurist. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you just consider, you know, one what if statement question every day, or you see some cool tech and you want to chat to people about it. You know, let's go. Uh, this mm -hmm. is the time to to do that. No, awesome man. Yeah, look, I mean, it's setting intention, isn't it? And then right. you, know, you then work out how to get there. So yeah. Um, look, so moving the discussion on a bit into the sort of AI world, like I, I am absolutely blown away by you know Chat GT. GPT yeah, and yeah. um you know and so I've been playing a bit with mid journey and just, I'm just suddenly I'm like oh my god there's there's just all this stuff that didn't exist you know yeah effectively four months ago some of it did but not very well the chat interface there's a lot to do with the interface that makes a big difference because it's the conversational way that you interact with it is just right. groundbreaking um but, you know, there's, so we can talk about the positive side, but let's go straight to, are we sleepwalking into dystopia with AI? <laughs> <laughs> so it's really interesting, right? Um, you've got, since since science fiction has sort of demonized the idea of robotic overlords, uh, you know, it's, it's a continuation of that. As new technology comes in and, uh, you know, We've all been touched with AI. If you're watching this on LinkedIn, LinkedIn uses, uh, you know, machine learning systems in the back end. Gmail does. We've all been touched by it. Mm. That's what I find interesting and impactful about AI. Then we have these large language models um, that come in through ChatGPT4 and um, Fives coming eventually and a whole bunch of different things. And there's a lot of hype. And last year, it was Metaverse. And, you know, that we need to be more critical in terms of the thinking around that. So that's what I try and do with uh, with with my clients and to sort of wake people up. And uh, I, I get asked last year, I was being asked about Metaverse all the time. This year, I'm being asked about ch um, ChatGPT and generative AI. I actually do think that generative AI, um, whether that's from, uh, you know, mid-journey, stable diffusion or whatever, uh, Adobe's just come up with something that's trying to catch up or, you know, ChatGPT and a whole number of the other systems that are out there um, that, that are coming from Google, Meta and whoever else. You know, it, it's 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 giving us progress. Everyone's hyped up like it's going to change the world. It's kind of just a remix of the world that we were already in, right? Um, you know, it, it, it's like search on steroids. I've used it to write articles. The articles are very average. I actually, uh, I, I actually, and my number one piece of advice for people using it is, you know, find things, see what it says, you know, use it for your research and understand that it's already been said. So don't say it. You know, go out and find your own unique opinion. The problem mm -hmm. about it is you don't know where they got the information from and what constituted that. If you challenge it, you can literally get it to change its mind in a drop of a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, a, same, a same prompt, completely different responses. Like, it's bizarre. So on, on futurist.com, I wrote my 2023 predictions. I sort of play with predictions on a year-to-year -year basis. You can kind of, you know, what people are going to do in that short, sort of short time scale, right? And... Uh, and I was like, okay, I'm going to take the same prompt and I'm going to plug it into GPT-4 versus GPT-3. And it was the absolute same answer. Mm -hmm. So there's even this like PR and spin that's happening now that suddenly there is progress. It is suddenly more powerful. No, the hype is more powerful right now. The amount of evangelists in the world need to calm down and, and really realize what this is doing. You know, 
saying things and this is sort of an enemy of 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 good futures worker it's going to change everything it's the future of x it's the future of y i was i was working with a bank last week and it's like you need to be wildly wildly careful of this you know this is this is a race to the bottom uh, a race to um you know a homogenous user experience i'm sure you can train it but what are we doing you're, you're literally building you know a, a data set uh, for reference that can can be useful it's not going to change the world. A lot of people online are probably mad at me for saying that, right? Um, <laughs> it can help with productivity, no doubt. If you're coding, yeah. doing some brand work, what, you know, uh, and, and great. Um, there's some people that have like written books using it, and they're terrible books. Um, you know, my, the predictions article I, that I got it to write was kind of super average and not really unique, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's search on steroids. I, I think it's a mirror of what's already been said. I think it can waste a huge amount of your time. So um, I think everyone, once they finish like playing around for a little while with chat GPT, they're always going to go back to secondary research. They're always going to do the human thing of working out how to connect all the different points. Um, but there's a huge caveat with this. You can't just take it verbatim because it can be wildly, wildly wrong, inaccurate. It can it can miss important parts of information and context. Uh, we've still got a long way to go. Mm. Um, yeah, you, you need to know that that is the I'd say the key bit um, is you need to know whether what is given you is good or not. Yeah. And prompt engineers getting paid three hundred thousand dollars. What a load of hype. Like you know, only for another I, few months because it will work out how to do the prompt for you. No, so. no, no, no. <laughs> okay if anyone online makes three hundred thousand dollars a year being a prompt engineer email me i'd like yeah, to put your name in the uh yeah, i honestly don't believe the that they that exists you know the media loves this right it's all about clicks and selling advertising that, that that's all that's the best thing chat gpt's done for modern business it's driven a huge amount of internet traffic to drive advertising revenue mm. but, yeah. but it's, you know it's it, i'm, I'm I'm not discounting this totally. I really am not. It's really important. It's really dangerous uh, from a mission information perspective. It's going to be part of our world. Um, it's a productivity tool. Um, I'm on gonna... the abundant side of things always. Remember, I, I am <laughs> blown over by how much more productive it allows like a small team to be because suddenly be. we've got kind of the hive mind to go and like it, we're in meetings and we're just like, well, let's just ask this, you know, ask it the question and see what it comes back. And it's like, well, that's not half bad. You could delete half of that, take that, and then like expand this. Understand. Unbelievable, like what that means when For sure. before, you know. Uh anyway, so let's 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 move on. I think that um For sure. it, it also depends on what where you're starting from. So some some people yeah. are really good at like co you know, content or like some. I definitely got like a sort of a bit of a dyslexic vibe going on. So having something that just right. like just tweaks what I've said, but puts it in, I'm like, this is incredible because it's always yes. been a stumbling block for me personally. Yeah. I, I had another friend, uh, a great friend of mine called JP Haleka that said that, you know, and it was like, yeah, I get it. There are some use cases. It's solid. Yeah. Solid, solid. Uh, you know, um, I just did a just did a piece of research with a client from it took about six weeks and they were doing the predominant research. And I was coaching around futures and scenarios and, you know, looking for, you know, how to look in sort of the dark corners of of, of different industries. Right. And um, we came to a, an opinion and the opinion was not going to be very popular with the people we had to present it to. They believed that the future is X. And we were like, ah, not, it's not that simple. And there's all of these stumbling blocks and it's unlikely. Mm -hmm. And um, once we'd done the work, it's like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to put in our like, you know, questions, things that question our hypothesis into chat GPT. And it corroborated everything that we'd done in terms of thinking about it. It didn't expand our work or anything like that. It didn't, um, it didn't find things that we didn't find, but it was like, oh yeah. It's reflecting that. Um, so you can say that there, there are a lot of people out in the world that are being referenced. We yeah, don't know yeah. who they are, that are also agreeing with us as well. And we even submitted that to as part of the, the work to say, you know, we did this work and we ran this and, you know, that it's interesting to see. And, you know, as a persuasion device, it, it, it can be powerful, right? Yeah. So, you know. No, it's super interesting. I mean, I don't know if you sort of keep your uh, eye on, like, you know, UK sort of politics. You've obviously yeah. like had things going on with, you know, 
Brexit and what whatnot, and the EU are becoming much more protectionist on this. The UK at the moment just released uh, a you know white paper on AI regulation, saying they're not going to have any new enforcement powers. So, right. like, what are your thoughts on that? So super no, loose, basically. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Boundaries. You know, um, tech companies and research, especially in these areas, aren't set with boundaries, and we see this big petition. Let's have a petition and stop everything for six months. It's the most inane thing I think I've, I've seen in, in modern years. We'll just stop for six months whilst we consider. Consider what? What are you going to consider? Like consider, <laughs> consider getting all of these companies to hire back all the people that they fired that were working in AI ethics and bias and a whole number of different things, you know. Like we're in the wild west right now. Um, regulation can never catch up to the speed of these tech companies. Mm. Uh, you know, I actually did some work around uh, predictive policy and regulation. Uh, the idea that you can actually work with these companies to understand where they're going and actually start to draft policy and regulation so that when this comes in, we know the guardrails. We also need to understand that in the world that, you know, there really is no boundary between countries. And sure, in the Western world, we're like, let's just uh, stop for six months. No one else is stopping for six months, right? So what, you lose competitive advantage? I think the the, the British government came out. <laughs> I'm a Brit, but I'm I'm sort of naturalized Canadian as well. Yeah, I'm yeah. probably not going to live back in the UK again anytime soon. You can say what you're about to say. <laughs> it's fine, yeah. Um, well, they... <laughs> They came out with some strange sort of social media post, uh, Rishi Sunak, and it's like you know we, we're gonna we're gonna like supercharge you know <laughs> technological innovation, that, yeah. and it, what was it? Um, we're gonna put three hundred and forty million pounds behind it, or something like that. And it was like okay, so that's like the burn rate of like a quarter for some <laughs> of this stuff for one tech company or something like that, right? Um, <laughs> I get it. You know, uh, government's never going to catch up in this problem. Um, interestingly enough, a few years ago, uh, Denmark actually uh, created a, a, the, the role of an ambassador to Silicon Valley. So they had this guy that was in Silicon Valley making friends with all the companies, knowing what was coming next, and, and then feeding that back into government uh, policy and regulations thinking. Wow. That's kind of brilliant, right? Yeah, that's clever. It's also worrying that, you know, um, you've got these big tech companies and the lobbying, you know, the lobbyists. I was going to say, it depends which direction it is. If it's lobbying, yeah. that's different. If it's understanding, then that that's, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think tech companies want to be bad. I just think that they've got a problem with the fact that they have to make as much money as possible and they have to default to selling advertising or monetizing the user. Mm. Um, and as soon as things get tough, shareholders get jittery and they literally, you know, take the futures dog outside and shoot it by the bike shed. You know, it's like, mm. and I think that, that, that there's a great miss right now. What is kind of cool and what's happening right now in the world, James, is all of these, you know, things like Google X or some of the innovation futures labs in Amazon or Meta or, or Google or whatever. All of these people are going to be out in the wild now and they're going to, they're going to work together. They're going to produce some really cool stuff. And, you know, things like OpenAI came from people that came from these companies, right? And yeah. then, you know, they might as well, like, kill the idea that it's open because Microsoft just gave them, like, a gazillion dollars, right? So, I mean, you know, there, there's there's some really cool stuff that's going to be coming um, because there's sort of a revolt because these big tech companies are just, they're just trying to make as much money as possible. I think you're going to see their products deteriorate um, and I do think that there's going to be some, in the next five to 10 years, there's going to be some really cool stuff coming. Some of that's going to be related to generative AI. Some of it's going to be related to mobile, new kinds of devices, even augmented reality and whatever. And I just think it's going to really change the world. And then we'll be in the cycle of big tech companies acquiring those companies, uh, subsuming them in the organization, rebranding them and, and pumping them back in out into the world until we hit another cycle in the next 20 years where things get tight and they fire all the people again and start you know, <laughs> focusing back on selling more advertising. <laughs> right. Um, I've, spent I've spent time in the Valley. I've spent time with these companies. There are some really, really smart people in all these companies. So I'm not going to name these names and say that they're inherently bad. They're not. I just think that market markets um, determine the fate of companies a little bit too much. Mm. Okay, awesome. Um, look, love, love it. Let's just try and pull things back a bit towards, sure. towards the book. I, I yeah. um, 
So like some key concepts for me, like what what is versus what if and yes. not conflating, you know, the two. Uh, so, you know, what is versus what to do about it? Like just explain that a bit more. And, and you know, how do you resist the temptation? <laughs> Yeah, so um, I read a great book uh, by Rob Hopkins, who's a British guy from, I think, from Devon, um, called "From What Is to to What If," and uh, it it came at a time when I was very much evangelizing futures work and saying, "Welcome to the future," and you know, take some take some questions and go home, and 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 it, it wasn't an invitation to be curious. When I read Rob Hopkins' book, and it was on a flight down to New Orleans. Um, just the first chapter, like creativity and innovation, community, you know, the invitation to be curious, you know, using what if is is really that that invitation to stop focusing 100% on operations and making money and uh, all the stresses of the day to day. Get your head up, look out to these future horizons and wonder, just wonder what comes next. What if the world operated differently? What if there were different dynamics between like governments and citizens? What if boundaries between countries truly were dropped? And what if there was global uh, cooperation? What if there was more dynamics in global war? What if China, um, Iran, a whole bunch of different countries, you know, secede from the international monetary round? What if, you know, all of these things is really potent um, to start playing with. So that is a, that's a really core cool concept. If, if, if you just think about that after reading the book more than anything else, and then go and read Rob Hopkins' book as well, mm. you'll realize that you can actually do a lot just by asking simple questions in terms of futures work. Yeah. Um, is, is this a good point to, to, to look at some of the, you know, what if, uh, you know, predictions? Like, are there, sure. some sig- are there signals that you're seeing? You know, let's go to 20, uh, 2040. Like, what are some of the things that, you know, may be happening in the in yeah our lifetime so so futurists don't predict and uh, people you know I, I talk about predictions in like one or two years sometimes once a year in, in a blog post and I've, I've done that for a long time it's interesting you know that you can pretty much see the obvious things that are coming around the corner things like you know will gpt4 be more be more capable by the end of uh, 2023 yes as will mid-journey, as will a number of different things. Will we come out of this global recession by 2024? Well, it's likely, right? Um, when we start to look at the 2040s and we start looking ahead like 15, 20 years, we're speculating. We're, we're, we're not doing anything more strongly than that. But the speculation means that it's a discussion rather than sort of putting your money on a horse that's going to win the race in yeah. those futures as well. The things that I look at today, and I talk about this in the book, is around water, energy, food, nexus, um, you know, water scarcity, renewable energy transition, um, at scale food production, especially within the context of you know, the burgeoning mega cities that are growing around the world in Southeast Asia, Africa, and whatever. And then also I look at waste as well. Um, you know, when you start to realize that, you know, the, the total mass of all novel materials like plastics in the world is twice that of all living mammals. It's a worrying situation, right? Mm. So, so I kind of hope that by the time we get to 2040, there are a number of global programs of cooperation in place to ensure you know, the availability of water, um, renewable abundant energy transmitted around the planet in global supergrids, you know, one of the things I speculate about, and there's already work and signals um, happening around that. Uh, and then actually working out how we can produce food in different ways, especially in an urban context as well. And we're seeing everything from, uh, you know, systems that use less water. Think about it. We, we flush our toilets with, with, with drinking water. Just like, just think about that, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I live in Canada. Twenty-one percent of the world's fresh water is in Canada. Um, the future of uh, water tankers, more than oil tankers, um, renewable energy, and what we're doing to replace uh, fossil fuels in the world, which is going to happen. We're starting to see big signals, especially in the Middle East, where they're investing in tech because they uh, they know that oil is going to be a marginal product um, in the next like thirty years. Yeah. Um, and when we start thinking about food, you know, um, cellular agriculture, vertical farming at scale, um, being able to grow more resistance and uh, resist um, heat resistant and resilient crops in the in the face of uh, more uh, extreme weather conditions and heat as well. We've seen a lot of big troubles happening in southern Europe in the last couple of years. 
I mean, imagine imagine if Italy gets so hot that you can no longer grow tomatoes. Mm. It's a, it's a cultural catastrophe as much as it is like a food catastrophe, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 So so um, you know, by 2040, the world's going to be a pretty funky place. Population is going to be big. It's probably going to be you know nearly a billion more people than where we are today. There's going to be more strains on all the systems. Uh, just from a climate perspective, it's just going to be a really weird place to be. It's going to be a really tough place to be in places that are already feeling like thing, things are getting warmer, right? So, you know, we, and what we can do is these visions, we can start to speculate, you know, what technologies are going to help us, what kind of, you know, societal, cultural shifts need to happen to help us really work things out. Who's going to be in charge of the world? Are all of these old white guys or you know, old guys that are in charge of economies and, and countries, are they going to be pushed out of the way in terms of, you know, people that are, you know, care more about the world, like women, you know, being in charge mm. of the world, maybe, yeah. you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah. So, you know, we, we I, I speculate on the positive side of things on, on where we're going. But, you know, again, with that dystopian anchor, if yeah. we don't, if we don't make decisions and we don't, you know, break the chains of this industrial complex, we're going to be in stasis and not really go anywhere. In fact, we're going to be in a worse off position. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a saying in there that, what is it? Progress is happens one funeral at a time, whatever. So we're kind of. That's a great quote. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's sure. the, the sort of journey we're on. Um, yeah. It, it, it's, 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 it's just hard hearing it, isn't it? Like, for yeah, people, I, wasn't it like Churchill said, like success is uh, going from failure to failure? You know, uh, it's just like resiliency. It's kind of interesting, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, and I, I think more than anything else, and this has sort of been beaten to death as an idea: resiliency and and stamina. Like I talk about stamina, it takes a lot to keep going, and it's easy to give up. <laughs> So, you know, I think everyone, let's just, just stand by your values, you know, push forward, be activistic and like, you know, hopefully people will start listening. I think election cycles kill a lot, you know, in terms of like, here's the promises for the next four years. Um, I was, I was speaking at a conference in Scottsdale, Arizona last year, and one of the speakers and the guy that endorsed my book is Paul Pullman. And he's the ex, you know, global CEO of Unilever. Yeah, yeah. Wildly, wildly, wildly powerful guy. Huge respect for him. Um, incredible guy. He's the he's the co-founder and chair of an organization called Imagine that's really helping sort of bring people together and get very significant leaders around the world sort of behind these big changes. Um, he shared this one stat. Um, Long-term performance, uh, I think it was in North America, for a CEO – um, that you're rewarded on, so bonuses for long-term performance. I think it was an average of 1.3 years. <laughs> we've, we've got it wrong. We've yeah. got it wrong. Um, and, you know, and, and you cut to Asia. I, you know, um, I think it was a friend of mine, Monica Bilskite, that said, you know, Asia thinks in millennia. Yeah. You know, you've got people like Masayoshi Son, and everyone's like, oh, he's lost all this money trying to, like, fund WeWork or whatever. He's got a 300-year strategic plan. Yeah, yeah. Right. And he's like building companies that are going to shore up his business in the next 35 years that will be resilient for the next, you know, sort of 270 beyond that. You know, you've got businesses in, in Japan that are 1400 years old. You know, there's a spiritual side to all of this. And there's also like commitment and stamina in the West that we don't have. Yeah. Um, you know, and this is why, you know, people would point at China. China's dominant because of their commitment and their stamina. I mean, totalitarian um, regimes can certainly sh like move a population in one direction very quickly as well, right? Mm. So I'm not saying it's all it's all roses or, or necessarily a good example of how how to do it, but yeah. like, yeah, it's interesting. It's very very interesting. So, um, yeah, I mean, we could push out by ten years, but it, you know, are there any sort of big changes? You know, ten you know ten years after that, twenty fifteen. Well, this is it, more of the same, uh, more acceleration. And what we see, like, um, once you go through an epoch of change, and so, let's assume 20, 2040, we're in a world, renewable energy is dominant, um, we've got um, more egalitarian um, systems, and, and you, know, you know, politics has calmed down a little bit more, more women are in charge of the world or whatever. 2050 is just an acceleration of that, right? Mm -hmm. Sure, um, technology is going to progress, you know. <laughs> Where's that going to take us? Is that going to take us to a world where we don't see technology anymore? It becomes invisible. 
it, does it take us to a world where we're strapped into the uh, the matrix and we never leave our apartments right <laughs> who knows right but it's interesting to play with all of these ideas right um i kind of hope in 2050 am i going to make it to 2050 i'm 50 years old now well, you know i might make it to 2050 we, we might have to do this uh this chat in 2050 what that's do you a, think that's a, that is a, let's uh let's you know, do that. that so i don't know yeah okay april 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 the 5th 2050. <laughs> 5th of april 2050 right i might not be able to speak but i'll, I'll have Bring an e diary and i'm going to invite you right yeah. <laughs> on yeah, Zoom, i'll, ha I'll have an eeg on my head and you'll be able to what's going <laughs> you'll on still have that brain. background though won't you and i'll As still I'm be wearing this manic minor top Exactly. Well, exactly. Manic Minor. I was going to say, man. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That to, uh, yeah, for I sure. Like I think that was like that was like the first game I played on the BBC when I was like young. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm about three years younger than you, but my my sister six. Well, my closest sister and age six years older, so she had it, and I just really loved it. So for sure, for sure, uh, right? Same experience. Um, so let, let's um yeah, and then bring it back to 2030. So what can we do in 2030 to 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 try and get like a, 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 um, a brighter 2040, 2050? You know, I mean, we got to kind of start today, right? I mean, we're running out of time. What, like, yeah, don't wait until 2030. <laughs> seven and a half years. So what are we going to achieve in the next seven and a half years? If we can work out a way to dial down the noise and focus on the right kinds of problems in the world just in the next seven years and come to some consensus that we all have to move together globally in a in a collaborative way, that's going to be a huge win, yeah. right? And I'm talking about that water, energy, food, nexus, waste, climate change. I mean, climate is changing. It's going to continue to change. It's just by how much, right? Um, hum humans and humanity is incredibly resilient. Um you know, we've had terrible times in the past. I, th I wrote about this on my on my blog. I found this amazing story. It didn't make it into the book because I found it after my book. That's one tip about writing a book. You're going to find the best content that for your book, like <laughs> in the months after. after writing it, right? <laughs> um, I think it was like 5.47. I think it was around about that. Yeah, maybe slightly off in, in, in my timing. There are a set of cataclysmic uh, volcanic explosions around the world that literally plunge the world into some sort of volcanic winter for about three years, three to five years, and caused like pestilence and famine and a yeah. bunch of stuff, proper biblical stuff. Yeah, we're made um, about, yeah. And do you know what? We didn't, we didn't fail to survive. Yeah, a lot of people died, <laughs> you know. Um, but humanity... It always finds a way. What is it like Jeff Goldblum in uh in Jurassic Park? You know, nature always finds a way. Humanity always finds a way. So um, we shouldn't underestimate the power of 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 who we are and what we can do. Um, there's a lot of suffering, unfortunately, along the way. And um, you know, one of the biggest things that we need to do, we need to deal with, and it's one of the most un unspoken things in a lot of business and organization contexts is. Um, the multi-generational trauma that we have to heal in the world so that we can move forward right yeah yeah i remember that in your book it's um the, the challenge we have is we're not necessarily equipped with the tools to or, or you know you have to acknowledge that it exists in the first place to start to do something about it right exactly i worked with um, a workers insurance company a few years ago and i just undergone some treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder and I was like, I'm super excited to talk about this. And and they were like, you can't talk about PTSD. I'm like, what? They go, we don't, we don't recognize that as a problem. It's like, but it is. They're like, we don't recognize that as a problem. It's like inconvenience, you know? Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think there's another there's another conversation we can have in a couple we'll of months. We'll have that in 2050. Yeah, multi-generational trauma. And, <laughs> and we he, might he, just about be ready to accept it. And, and he and healing the inner child. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that that comes back to stamina and resiliency and futures work as well. It's incredibly important. Um, so to um, I suppose bring us back for a, a lot of the listeners will be you know founders, CEOs, MDs of startups, yeah. smaller organisations. How do we bring it back? Um, you know, you do talk about Joe Harry Window and um, in in things, but how do we practically bring it back so the business can design the future that they desire? Yeah, I mean, so it's interesting. You can start scanning for signals today and start imagining what trends emerge from that. You can start thinking about scenarios. It's super easy. Actually, if you go to futurist.com forward slash kickstart, 
there's a whole bunch of tools that I've done. I share these in my in my in my keynotes. So if you go there, so futurist.com forward slash kickstart, and we can always add that to, to the event as well. Yeah. Um in, in the chat. That um just gives you a number of things you can do on a daily basis. It also automates everything. So you can use you can use existing systems like Google Alerts and whatever. There's some great forums like Reddit um slash r slash futurology lots of people sharing ideas um you know going out there and just like having all of these signals come to you and you just like skim through things every single day and it's like how i how i do scanning just awareness right and start thinking about what it means to your business and then just ask yourself the simple question like what if this catches fire and it's got a bearing on my business or or my or the people that I sell to work with offer services to, or it's got a bearing on their lives. And just doing that on a daily basis is gonna sort of work that, you know, that that futures muscle. And uh, you end up becoming really aware. Um and you're gonna feel a bit conflicted on, on at times, but that work through that um and just get that awareness, and that's gonna be really important. Yeah, I mean that's you know they say the 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 best productivity app on your uh, on your phone is airplane mode. So it's 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 making time how to to reflect and. That's amazing. Yeah, 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 for sure, hundred um, percent. We do have a question actually. Um, so Good. I was asked. Uh, he's asked. Well, basically, I have a question around how to utilize these insights for abundance and a great economic return, which <laughs> I guess is what a lot of people are looking for. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, words words like return. It, yeah. it, it assumes we've lost all hope and everything's gone to hell. Like, it's just a shift, right? Um, it's just a shift in a little direction. Um, using these tools for abundance. Putting humanity at the center of your intention is the most important thing. Um, if, we can, we can, if we can refocus abundance around, you know, that, that positive idea of providing a world where, you know, poverty and scarcity are no longer issues and and it's done in a way that doesn't cost everyone a bunch of money uh and it's and it's available um you know starting to sound like a socialist <laughs> um but like this is it right um yeah that, that that's what i mean um more socialistic systems and i don't mean that from a militant perspective i mean that from a caring about your community your family a little bit more and uh the world that we live in yeah 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 um what if we don't face our futures you know especially in business what yeah so so it's it's easy right you can you can choose to do futures work and be a part of that that process of thinking about how the world is going to be a better place or you can be a bystander and just watch everyone else take advantage of of working at that um, cause I mean, there's a study by Rohrbeck and Kuhn in, in 2018 and over a period of, uh, I think about five years, they found that the, the companies that have fo focused on vigilance around signal scanning, scenario planning, you know, risk anticipation, they built that into their business were 33% more profitable and they had 200% higher growth than those that didn't. Mm. So you're always going to be in the position. If you don't want to do it, walk away from this conversation, do nothing. Mm. and see the people that are doing something and uh look at the delta in five years time i guarantee you you might have a few more pennies in the bank than some people but you're not going to be in a good position to really you know, survive for the next like 20 to 50 years beyond that so yeah amazing yeah i know i'm, no, I'm coming out with sayings but uh, there's there's a final one which is not the world we leave for our children but the children we leave for our world and say so, ah yes you know. amazing yeah wisdom so, it's great i love it no nah, that it, it, but it is isn't it you know you know how do we teach the next generation this you know why isn't it in our schooling you know what what's <laughs> it's a whole other discussion yeah i i wasn't going to have children and i uh i met a great friend of mine uh, he does futures work with me in fact we started a lot of futures work together and i was like oh i thought you'd never have kids you didn't seem like the kind of guy did he goes well, you know, it kind of, you know, happened in an unorthodox way. and We weren't expecting it. But, you know, who's going to save the world? That's it. Amazing. And I've yeah. got a two and a half year old I need to train to save the world now, right? So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like we've got similar age kids. It's uh, it, it definitely changes your perspective on um, on what's going on in the world. So, um, yeah. Hey, look, sure. time's up. You know, any any sort of closing thought you want to leave for uh 
Listeners. You know what? Like, um, anyone can reach out to me and just have a conversation. I'm super into that. Um, you know, you can see I've written tons of articles at nicholasbaminton.com, futurist.com. A shameless promo, you know, you know, buy the book, you know, get the book, uh, get the book, get the book. Um, listen to the, the listen to the audio um, version. Um, I'm not luckily I'm, I didn't have to record that. So you, you get to listen to someone more erudite than myself. Actually, uh, towards the end, that's what I I went and bought it and just listened to it because I was yeah. like, you know, I could it's do it doing other stuff. So that's actually um, much better like that. So. And yeah. you know what? Take take chances. Never be afraid, never back down, um, and remember that futurism is activism. Amazing. Thank you. Right. So, you know, there there it is. We're just uh, just on the hour. Uh, make sure we put humanity before technology. I know that's a big theme in the book. Um, yes. Consider dystopian futures so we can create a utopian one or something like that. Um, yeah. If you aren't facing your future, are you becoming part of the past? Um, hopefully, you know, Nick today has helped you get consider getting out there and facing yours. Next Wise Wednesday, we have um, a scaling up expert, John Ratcliffe, who's going to be like chatting to us about his experience of scaling some like, you know, big companies out there. Um, Nick's already said, get in touch with him on LinkedIn. Thank you, Nick. Been amazing uh, to chat to you today. Um, thank you to the audience for listening. And I hope everyone feels slightly wiser this Wednesday as a result of joining. Cheers.